0: And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, would you look upon us this morning? Would your spirit go forth this morning? May we be rich in it through the teaching and preaching of your word. Make alive our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you know well and remember well the challenges we had in our family years ago uh, when our son Cole was battling what became a potentially life-threatening peanut allergy when he was a younger boy. Many of you prayed with us. Many of you prayed for us, particularly as the situation escalated, going from an occasional mild reaction here and there until as he grew older, he had a severe reaction, and then he had another one. And then one one afternoon, after an exposure at school, Tara happened to be there, rushed him to his allergist. As they walked into the lobby, Cole's throat started to close, and they called a code blue on him there in the lobby, and due to the swift acting team, saved his life. At that point, Tara and I quickly became motivated to pursue a peanut allergy desensitization study. We had looked up... ...at the University of North Carolina... ...where some of the leaders in this field were. And as we shared Cole's story with many of you all... ...I'll never forget... ...leaving church one morning... ...and Anita Lyle... ...stopping me in front of the choir room... ...and asking... ...have you ever prayed... ...that the Lord would take this away from him? And as I started to answer... ...well sure, of course... ...I realized that I had actually never... Prayed that the Lord would take it away from him. i had only prayed that the Lord would protect him, and He always had. And so she and I committed that day right there to pray, precisely, that the Lord would remove this from him. As the weeks wore on and we awaited our trip to North Carolina for the clinical trial, there came one morning when Tara taking the kids to school, and I spent some quiet time in prayer as she was gone. And the Lord, as clearly as anything I have ever known in this life... ...assured me that my prayers were answered and that Cole was healed. When Tara came home, I walked up to her. I hugged her. I told her what had happened. And I told her, I know she may not believe it, but I knew. Several more weeks passed until we finally made our trip up to North Carolina... ...for our workup appointment. And as time had passed, so too had my certainty... My faith in the Lord's healing and doubt had returned to my heart. But then it happened. As Cole's workup progressed, it came time to do the skin test for his peanut allergies, a a, a prick of an allergen injected into his back that would normally make his skin wheel and flare like a clown nose. But this time as the minutes passed, I looked up from the book that I was reading to his back. I saw absolutely nothing but normal skin. And as I did, my heart pounded, and I was flooded with remembrance and certainty that the Lord had granted my petition and the prayers of you all, and our son was healed. And as we began our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke last week, as Pastor Tanner spoke, he spoke about this certainty that we have in the Scriptures, the certainty we have in the Gospel because of the certainty that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we move into the start of the narrative today, the start of Luke's telling ...of the gospel account, an account that serves as a carefully crafted history... ...but also a narrative biography that's driving towards a purpose. It's a story with a meaning, a story that should leave you changed. And so to see what Luke is telling us, distinct from Mark and Matthew and John... ...we should start by appreciating that Luke wrote both this gospel account... ...but he also wrote the book of Acts. In fact, when scholars talk about these books, they even refer to them singularly as Luke-Acts. And so as we dig into the gospel this week and in the future, we can and should do so with this bigger picture of Luke-Acts in our minds. Because in that bigger picture, we see the transformation of creation take place. And that you might have certainty, most excellent Theophilus, Luke does so beginning with a story about a priest, his barren wife, When both were advanced in years. As we begin the story, we see Luke open with a narrative... ...that none of the other gospel writers provide. In the first two chapters of his gospel... ...Luke tells us two birth narratives... ...volleying his story back and forth... ...between the birth narrative of John the Baptist... ...and the birth narrative of Jesus. And he marks this section of his gospel off... ...starting here with a story in the temple... ...and he will end it in Luke chapter 2... ...with another temple scene... And throughout this broken out birth narrative, we see John and Jesus pronounced by the angels. We see songs by the angels, by Mary, by Zechariah, by Simeon. And we see the transition of Israel taking place. We say that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels. Because they all tell basically the same story with distinct emphases given to particular details... ...that that color the individual story they're trying to tell... And so we must ask ourselves, why does Luke begin right here? And why does he tell us this story that none of the other gospel writers do? Because Luke was concerned to start his gospel account in Israel. To tell how this Jesus... ...has intervened in Israelite history... ...that the Messiah has come... ...not separate and distinct from Israel... ...not erasing or replacing Israel... ...but fulfilling the promises... ...of the Old Testament... ...by coming as the redemption of Jerusalem. And so it was in the days of Herod... ...king of Judea... ...that Zechariah... ...entered the temple. He was a Levite by birth... ...the tribe of the priesthood... ...married to a daughter of Aaron... ...the first high priest of Israel... This was a pure marriage of priestly blood. Even the name Elizabeth had been given because it was the name of Aaron's wife. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the moral commandments and keeping the ceremonial law perfectly. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and now both were advanced in years. Luke has gone to great lengths to set up the entire narrative of Luke-Acts... ...grounded in the story of Israel... ...grounded in the temple... ...grounded in Jerusalem... ...and I'm sure many of you can hear the echoes of the patriarchs in the story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... ...all with barren wives... ...all in whom the Lord blessed with an heir... ...all in whom the Lord carried forth... ...His covenantal promises to His people. But now the story continues in their nation... ...desperately awaiting the birth of their Messiah... ...and yet there is barrenness in Israel. The reproach of Elizabeth mirrors the reproach of the Jews. Verse 8. Now while he was serving as priest before God... ...when his division was on duty... ...according to the custom of the priesthood... ...he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord... ...and burn incense... Unfortunately, I think Florida State needed a couple more weeks. Um, But for most of us here in the sanctuary who are either Florida or Florida State fans, we've had the opportunity to watch our teams play for national championships recently. And every now and then, your team is playing for a title in a back-and-forth game against Auburn, and the championship comes down to a last-minute drive in the red zone. And your heart's pounding. And you are at that moment at the peak of your fandom. Those are moments that you never forget. And Luke has told us here that the pronouncement of Gabriel takes place at the peak of Zechariah's life. We read that Zechariah was chosen by Lot to offer the daily sacrifice... Because there were so many priests in the division of Abijah... ...so many priests in general... ...each priest would likely only offer the sacrifice... ...one time in their life. And so Zechariah goes into the temple... ...the multitude of worshipers gathered outside... ...offering prayers for the nation... ...and as the hour of incense came... ...he approaches the altar... ...and at that moment... ...there appears to him the angel Gabriel... ...standing at the altar... We've just come through a study of Leviticus... ...and not too long ago, Pastor Rob preached through Exodus. And so you know that each article of the temple bore meaning... ...it bore symbolism, it bore significance... ...to the religious practice of the nation. And so when Zechariah burned the incense on the altar that day... ...and the smoke rose in the room... ...the very tapestry before him woven with cherubim... ...to mimic the heavenly presence before God himself... ...the smoke of the incense represented the prayers of the nation... ...rising through the heavens into the throne room of God. I've said before that although the Jews had been sent back to their land by King Cyrus... ...when Persia had conquered Babylon in the 6th century BC... ...the Lord's presence had not returned with them as he had been before... ...and thus the people remained in a state of exile... ...still awaiting their coming king... But the prophecies of Daniel had pointed them precisely here. First Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, then Rome. These four kingdoms would rule Israel in succession. But during the last, during the reign of Rome, the beast with iron teeth, God would raise up the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, the Branch of Jesse, the Davidic King, who would never again depart from the throne, who would judge the nations, and who would remove the reproach. Of Israel. And so it is in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that the Old Testament motif of the barren wife is amplified. It's brought to its fulfillment. For Elizabeth would bear the last of the Old Testament prophets, the one who would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb, and the one who would cry in the wilderness that Messiah had come. And he will go in the spirit and power of Elijah as the prophet Malachi had written in the final verses of his book. The last scripture given before these intervening 400 years of quiet. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, I will send you Elijah. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Incidentally, the name Zechariah means the Lord has remembered And indeed, as the prayers of the nation are petitioned... ...and the lifelong prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth are offered... ...we hear the Hebrews in Egypt. We hear Gabriel coming to the exiles in the book of Daniel. We hear the prayers of a multitude being answered. Because the Lord has remembered his people. And you will have joy and gladness, Zechariah... ...for your son will be great before the Lord... How shall you know, Theophilus? Because the covenantal promise is being fulfilled. And the reversal of Elizabeth's barrenness is even greater than that of the patriarchs. Because her son will mark the dawn of the eschatological age. The one who will announce that the Christ has come. And who will make a people prepared. Verse 18... among people. We see here that despite walking blamelessly before the Lord, Zechariah responds in disbelief to the angel's proclamation. How shall I know this? For I am old and my wife is advanced in years... as my father Abraham and Sarah were before me. And we can feel the discouraging repetition of Old Testament Israel... who had responded with... ...similar disbelief to the warnings of the Old Testament prophets. They, they see with their eyes, they hear with their ears... ...but in their hearts they are dull. Do we realize that this can be precisely who we are? When we pray... ...do we believe that God is a God who can answer... ...who can direct, who will act for His glory? Do we trust that although we await even now... ...for the return of Christ there is indeed a great and awesome day of the Lord coming in which Christ will return. As our prayers rise like the incense into the throne room of God and are made effective in the name and the petition of Jesus, are our hearts dull, trusting rather in our own self-righteousness or our own good morals such that we can't perceive the very promises of God fulfilled before our eyes. It's been said that sermon illustrations are only as effective, or only effective if you can remember to what they point to. The whole of Zechariah's work that day was an illustration of precisely what was happening to him at that moment in redemptive history. The prayers and petitions of the nation after hundreds of years were finally being answered miraculously before his eyes, and yet he asked for another sign. But how shall I know? Because of everything that you are doing, everything your t- temple service represents, and everything that I have done for your nation these 2,000 years. Were we to read from the Old Testament this morning, we could find many passages of God speaking to his people. And you know his introduction well, even if you've never appreciated it. What does he say? He says, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac. And of Jacob. I am the God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Why? Because I am that God. That is your heritage. I am that God who has done these mighty acts. Therefore, you can know and believe what I say is true. You can know and believe that your prayers are heard. You can know and believe that I will bring to completion all. ...that I have promised. Do you believe it? There's parallels in our passage... ...this morning... ...to another story of barrenness... ...from the Old Testament... ...that you may have noticed. As The parallels are rich. It's the Old Testament story... ...that most closely mirrors ours. It's the beautiful story of Elkanah... ...and his wife Hannah. The eventual mother of the prophet Samuel, the last judge of Israel... ...had prayed fervently that she may be given a child. She went to the tabernacle before Eli, the high priest... ...and prayed that the Lord would remember her. And Eli echoed her petition. Elkanah knew his wife. And we read that the Lord remembered her. Her son Samuel was committed as a child to dwell in the presence of the Lord to serve in the temple with a similar devotion to the service as John. But the parallels don't stop there because if you remember Samuel's crowning achievement, it was not the anointing of Saul as the first king of Israel, but it was his anointing of David, the Lord's chosen as king. And when Samuel took the horn and anointed him with oil, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And while John the Baptist, herald of the coming Messiah, was transformational, his most significant act was his preparation of the ministry of Jesus when the son of the priest, the last Old Testament prophet, baptized the king in the river Jordan. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And God the Father proclaimed, You are my beloved son, With you I am well pleased. And the transition from old to new was occurring. The time had come. And so David being anointed king by Samuel goes to face Goliath in the valley of Elah. While Jesus would be driven by the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to face the assault of Satan. Both David and Jesus now prepared for their call. Why does Luke begin here? ...because he's telling you, O oh, Theophilus. He's telling you, O oh, Jerusalem. He's telling you and me... ...that the Davidic king has returned. And just as he brought life from a dead womb... ...he shall bring life to our souls that are dead... ...and their trespasses and sin. And just as he made a ruddy boy king of Israel... ...and defeat the famous champion of the Philistines... ...so he has given us Christ, our redeemer, the king... ...who has defeated Satan, sin... ...and death, and he shall sit upon the throne evermore. How shall I know this? Because all of your history, all of the laws in which you walk blamelessly... ...all of your ritual purity and religious practice... ...all of it testifies to the truth of the gospel. How shall I know this? You shall know because the good news is here... Christ has come, and the kingdom shall be pronounced by your son. I said at the beginning, that throughout our study of Luke... ...we should keep the book of Acts in the back of our mind. The second part, as it were, of Luke's story. As I have preached from this pulpit before, in this first story of Luke's gospel... Zechariah should have emerged that day from the temple. He should have raised his hands... ...and he should have pronounced the benediction... ...upon the people of Israel. Pronounced the name, the blessing... ...the countenance of the Lord upon them. But Zechariah's disbelief caused him to be muted... ...caused him to be incomplete in his ministry. But in the last story of Luke's gospel... ...the Lord Jesus goes to Bethany with his disciples... ...where he ascends into heaven. And as he does... ...he lifts up his hands... ...and he blesses them. And we see the continued work of the Spirit... ...that dwelled upon John from the womb eventually upon Elizabeth, Mary, Zechariah, Simeon, descends upon Jesus, eventually descends on the number gathered in the upper room at Pentecost, spread through the ministry of the apostles, planting churches, preaching, teaching the gospel truth that Jesus has come, has fulfilled the law, has died and risen, that you and I, Jew and Gentile, will be saved in him if we will but confess our sins, repent and believe that Christ is Lord. You see, Luke begins by revealing the interruption of God into an unprepared world, to a people unprepared to have their prayers answered. But Luke ends the book of Acts telling us that while Paul was in Rome, the gospel was now going forth, unhindered. It's the last word in the book of Acts. Unhindered, O Theophilus from the muted priest and the temple of Jerusalem to the seat of the Roman Empire, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Once upon a time, I had dismissed the mighty hand of God intervening to answer our prayers for my son. Until the day came and he graciously patiently reminded me that He is that God. How shall we know this? Because He is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He is the God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He is the God who sent His Son to receive the punishment due for your sins so that He could be with you once more. He is the God who, even to this very day, has answered your prayers. And He is the God who is coming again. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, how often we come to you repeating pious acts. perfunctory behaviors, things we have done for years, and yet doing them with hearts completely dull, completely uncircumcised to the work of your Spirit and the certainty of who we pray to. Lord, would you convict our hearts this morning as you are the God who brought your people up out of the land of Egypt and has redeemed us in Christ. May we believe it because your hand has been acting, has been working throughout all of human history. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.